Mr. Bob Berg, welcome to the Rich Equation Podcast. Hello, Mr. Ashish. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a real honor to have you. We have a, a serious author who's written some amazing books and created some great content. So I'm really excited for you to be here today and share with the audience. You know, I have a lot of questions. I want to try to respect your time and get right into it with the and try to bring some value here. You know, really specific, you talk a lot about value and that's a big subject for you. And I think that bringing value in today's environment sort of gets a little bit of a bad rap. It's like a little bit overused. I'd love for you to give us a little bit of specific, you know, clarity on, in your words, and your experience, what does it mean to bring value today in today's environment? I think that it's really easy to get diluted. So I want to hear it directly from you. You know, you can compare it to selling, but you know, I just want to understand like the mindset of what does it mean to bring value to people. I think you're right. It is a an overused word, an overused term. And I think to really understand it, we need to put it in relation to price, okay? Because price and value are two different concepts, yet they're often confused and conflated. So price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, philosophy, relationship, whatever it happens to be, mm. that that brings so much worth to another person, right? Because it's relative right, to another person that they will willingly exchange their money or their time or oh, their yeah. energy or their interest or their, you know, what have you, right? And so when doing it right, the value we give should be much greater than the price we charge. Again, price, not just meaning money, but anything, okay? And and yet both people come out ahead. Now, uh, let's just take a, a financial example just to, to provide some background. You hire an accountant to do your taxes and she charges you, let's say $1,000. That's her price, but she saves you $5,000 in taxes, saves you countless hours of time and provides you and your family with the security and the peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. Well, she's given you well over $5,000 in value mm-hmm. in exchange for a $1,000 price. She gave you more in value than what she took in payment. So you feel great about it. You profited, right? But she also profited because she, it was worth it to her to exchange her time and her energy and her knowledge and so forth for that thousand dollar fee. So in any exchange, and again, whether we're talking financially, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, socially related, what have you, in any exchange, there should always be two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits, or each Mm -hmm. person profits because everyone comes away better off afterwards than they were beforehand. Price is finite. Value is infinite. It can always keep growing. And how do you know when you're misalignment of value, right? Because people are selling products all the time that don't necessarily provide great value, but they're successful in selling them. And slowly, maybe those companies erode or those those sales transact slowly. How do you know if you're in misalignment of providing 
And is, and there's is there such a thing as too much value or too little value? Okay, so uh, so a couple things. First, you know there's misalignment when, just as you said, sales begin to erode. Right, and the company goes out of business. It's because there's a misalignment. Okay, in a market, at least to the degree that we operate in a free market based environment, and when I say free market, I simply mean no one's forced to do business with anyone else. Thus, it's absolutely incumbent upon that provider, right, to not only communicate that great value, but deliver that great value. Hmm. Because remember, people that, you know, I often, when I speak at a sales conference, the first thing I'll say is nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, yes. right? They're not going to buy from you because you they need don't money, care. Want money. They don't care. Exactly. They don't care. Right? And, and that's good news, by the way, for that entrepreneur or sales professional who really has a heart to serve to mm-hmm. give value, to provide value. So that's the first part of your your question. That's how, how you would know. Now, when you say, can you ever give too much value? You cannot give too much value, okay? Because how do you give too much value? It's like saying you have too much money. You, you can't. I mean, you can always do stuff with that money, like give it away to charity or use it for other good causes or do whatever you want. You can't have too much. And so you can't give too much value. You can give value inappropriately, Okay. Mm. When it's not warranted and when it's not productive to do that, you can also, though, there's such a thing as what I call negative value. Uh, And that is when it's going to be harmful to someone. Now, here's the thing. Remember, value is relative, which means it's always in the eyes of the beholder. Okay. So if if a restaurant serves the greatest tasting steak in the world, that's negative value to me because I'm I'm vegan. I can't stand the idea of an animal being, you know, horribly raised in terrible conditions and then slaughtered for human consumption. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying to me, that's negative value. It holds no value. It's negative value. For right. someone else, that might be exceptional value. So, for right. Me, I, I right? totally get it. Yeah. Fascinating. I want to understand from your perspective, if you have the value thing figured out, and you've figured out, okay, my customers really see value in the process mm-hmm. or my right. customer journey or my product. Mm-hmm. Then the next question I have is, I think often when we're providing value, there's authentic relationship that gets built. And you mm-hmm. talk a lot about trust and reliability and all those kinds of things. And I find that as people scale their businesses, how do you scale authentic relationships? Well, there's two ways I think that can be taken. We say, how do we scale the relationship? Meaning like, how do you create, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, in order for you to have, for you and I to have an intimate relationship takes time, takes exchange, takes energy. And then if we have that trust and we have that, uh, that rapport, then we, we often do business together and, and then we provide value. How can you do that at scale if it costs time and, and exchange and, and so, to try to build that okay. at scale is what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that goes back to the law of compensation, where we say your income is determined by how many people you serve mm. and how well you serve them, right? Which means you must scale, right? You must be able to leverage uh, that value you're providing and and expand upon it. So 
how do you do this? Well, referrals and introductions are some of the very best ways to, to do that because the process of prospecting for business, which while is certainly necessary, is what's so time consuming because yes. you've got to reach a lot of people through a you know, a a one-to-one type of prospecting methodology in order to find those people who may be interested in what you have enough to, to begin to form that relationship. And then you've got to build that relationship, right? So, and that takes time, but it's necessary. Right. When you have a referral, a referred prospect, this is different because with a referred prospect, uh, it's easier to set the appointment, right? Because you're going in on borrowed influence. With a referred mm-hmm. prospect, price is less of an issue. That doesn't mean it's not an issue or a non-issue, but it's less of an issue. Um, why? Because of borrowed influence and borrowed trust, you go in with gravitas already. And so you're able to sell right. on high value. Now, here's here's the thing, and we we both know this. When you sell on low price, you're seen as a commodity. Right. When you're when you sell on high value, you're seen as a resource. So from these referrals, it's easier to set the appointment and you can sell. uh, You're already positioned as a as a high value based salesperson. Now, the third benefit of a referred prospect is it's easier to complete the transaction. Why? Yes. Well, again, we're talking about borrowed trust or what we call vicarious experience. So in mm. other words, not only, uh, you know, this person hasn't necessarily ever used you before or, or used your product. No, but someone who that person knows, likes, and trusts has said, this is the only person you need to talk to. They're like an Indian range marriage. They, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and then they, or in, in, in my tradition, the old Jewish arranged marriages through the, <laughs> the Yenta, the matchmaker, right? Exactly. Same, same thing. Same and thing. So, yeah. And so, um, and, and, and so, you know, it, so that happens a lot, a lot faster. And then I think the, the uh, another great benefit of, of referrals, which again, helps you, like you said, expand uh, and uh, scale that much quicker is that person already sees you as a referral based professional, because that's how they met you. So in their world, they see you as the type of professional who is referred to others, who sells on high value rather than low price, who completes the transaction, the sale, and who then is referred to others. So now that's how you're able to scale, scale these authentic trust. relationships, to scale the trust exactly. I love that. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about leadership and influence because I think, and you said in one of your talks that, you know, on average, people have a sphere of about 250 people that they affect and they influence within their life. And I think that's really a powerful concept. And I think often leaders, I would say, is exponentially more than that too. If you have 50 employees, 100 employees, 1,000 employees, the impact becomes bigger and bigger. I want to get your perspective on, or maybe you can speak directly to leaders today what is the gap? What are the, what are the things that leaders are struggling with? What are the things that leaders should be thinking about today in in this environment of, in my perspective, where leaders really struggle making ethical, strong uh, decisions, um, putting others before themselves, and so I just want to want to give you the chance to just speak to people right now and see what you think, and and with even even considering the people that you're working with. 
So I think, again, it go there. there's a few levels to this. One is when we talk about, you know, ethics and, and making those ethical decisions, you know, that's a character issue. Yes. And yes. Stephen M. R. Covey, son of, of the late Dr. Stephen Covey of Highly Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen M. R. Covey, who wrote A Speed of Trust, talks about trust being two parts. One is competence and the other is character, right? Mm. And we need our leaders to have both. One without the other just isn't going to cut it. And we know that while we can lead from any position, certainly Mark Sanborn, Robin Sharma, and others have written wonderful books about how you can lead from anywhere. Okay, we know that. A culture of leadership begins at the top and yes. trickles down. Okay. So when you have that ethical leader, that's what permeates throughout the organization. Okay. Um, now, as far as their communication, well, I think you hit it right on the head when you said they have got to put the other people first. And, you know, the law of influence and the go-giver says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Now, that's not to be confused with being a doormat or being a martyr or being self-sacrificial in any way. Absolutely not. It's it's simply as Joe, the protege in the story, learned from several of the mentors, the golden rule of, of business, of sales, and, and let's add leadership and influence is all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to and allow themselves to be led and influenced by those people they know, like, and trust. Well, here's the thing. There's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by genuinely and authentically moving from that I focus or me focus, me focus. to that other focus. And and that's really where it begins. That's what Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, talked about when he, he talked about the difference between the level four leader and the level five leader. Both were just as talented. Both could be of high character. But with the level four leader, it was basically about them. Everything rose and, fought and fell on them. Whereas with the level five leader, they put the interest of, of their company first. They put the interest of their team members first. They look to build other leaders and not make it about themselves. Yeah. Where leadership is actually scalable. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I love that. Um, I want your definition of success. You spend a lot of time with business people and I find that, um, it's a really big thesis for me in life of like, how can we be successful in multiple aspects of life, not only in business, but in our relationships, in our health, in our nutrition, in our, in our spirituality, in our contribution. I think we live in a society where it's very materialistic. People are driven and I'm speaking this for myself, so I'm not projecting like we grow up this way of highly excelling and achieving and, and producing. And then life gets imbalanced, right? People have separations in their relationships or they don't show up for their kids or they become unhealthy and then all the things kind of get wacky. I'd love to hear your story or anything that you have to say about this. Well, I mean, I think we can come up with a number of definitions for success I, I, because I, I think it's multi-pronged. Uh, so yeah. on a very, very basic level, success is simply accomplishing a specific goal or an aim. Uh, the team, uh, mm. you know, 
wins five to four over the other team, right? The team that won was successful. Right. Uh, the team that lost was unsuccessful. Then again, maybe they were successful because even though they lost, they played better than they had been the last time. So maybe on a certain level, they won a, you know, a one aspect, even though they lost. So again, we're just looking at that very legit, you know, very logically. Now, let's say you want to lose 20 pounds in three months. Okay. Drop 20 pounds in three months and you do that while well, you were successful. Okay. Right. Now, what if you, what if you drop, uh, 18 pounds. Well, you were, what is that? 90% successful. If I'm, if I have that right, I'm not sure. But anyway, you are successful to the degree that you accomplish that goal. That's fine. But now let's take it a little deeper. I remember Earl Nightingale, the great uh, uh, radio personality and uh, one of the real progenitors of the modern day personal development movement uh, defined success as the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. So you take that apart, the progressive realization. In other words, you're moving toward it. You're making process, uh, progress rather, that success, but toward a worthy ideal. So being the top uh, drug dealer on your block would not be success because it's not yeah, you know, that's what we call negative value, right? That's not something, right? But but uh, the progressive realization of a worthy toward a worthy ideal, fine. That's success. You're making progress. Uh, you know, I think Christopher Morley said, uh, "Success is living your life on your terms." Sounds pretty successful to me. Uh, I define success similar to the way that UCLA uh, legendary coach John Wooden defined it. Uh, because John Wooden, what's interesting is, I, and I don't even remember, was something like 14 or 15 NCAA championships in the States. That is a biggie, right? The college, the, the, the champion, 14 years or 15 years, uh, not in a row, but pretty close. He, he was the winningest coach of all time but for a long time. He was a winner. Yet he never focused on winning games. Yes. His whole thing was the process and teaching his players the process. If they would be successful in the process, doing the right things, they'd win the games. And so, sticking right, to the process, even in times of, of losing. Yeah, so exactly. Oh, great point. So my, my definition of success is a genuine and ongoing feeling of happiness the result of 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 doing one's best to live up to their potential so to me you're successful if you've done your best to live up to your potential so to the degree that you've lived up to your potential that's the degree to which you're successful god that doesn't mean it's the right definition it's just that's mine and and i i borrow i love that paraphrase coach woodens that's really good what keeps you up at night bob um, well, sleep apnea really, but other than that, not much <laughs> other than that, I sleep really well. What's your favorite book you've read recently? Favorite book that I've read recently. It, it, that's tough because I read all the time and I just love the books. Um, I, I read, I would have to say maybe, maybe a, maybe a recent must read. And for the people that are listening, Bob has a huge, like, thousand book library right behind him. So. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, please huh. pardon me for turning my back to you. I didn't know. No, no to. problem. So, this is a book I read probably oh about a year God. ago. It's called Think Again by Adam Grant. The subtitle is The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. 
I just me, had a friend tell me about that book yesterday. Yeah, it might be the most important book of our modern day. Wow. Yeah. So give us, a, it's it's about rethinking the things that we think we know about. Yeah. It's basically understanding that we don't know, even when we think we do, we might not. And we've got to be open to the idea that we might be wrong or not a hundred percent right. And that we can disagree with another person, uh, understanding that they're coming from their belief system and we're okay. coming from ours. And that if we're going to be able to, to have dialogue and successful dialogue and to be able to successfully persuade, we've got to be able to see it from that other person's point of view. We don't need to necessarily agree, but we need to be able to at least understand it, see it, look into it with feeling and be able to, to kind of put aside the fact that we don't you know that we might think we're 100 right but we don't know that we don't know that so we need to think again and uh and that. and it's just it's just absolutely powerful well that's my next one i actually was referred to that book yesterday so that's <laughs> that's uh that's not a, just a coincidence right right um tell us about i'm really fascinated with people's routines and the things that they do on a daily basis you know you're you travel all the time. You're a speaker. You're doing podcasts. You know, you're you're a mover, a shaker. What is your routine that helps you stay sharp, healthy, active, and perform at this level? You know, I think the big thing is that I have a routine, and and I, I think that's important because the more of a routine we have, the the more free we are some people think having a routine kind of entraps you but it really doesn't yeah explain it, this this is very important explain well it, free, it, it actually frees you up to be able to do the important things yeah right? isn't that you ironic have, yeah you don't have to be thinking about every little thing you're going to do you pretty much know the basic things that you're going to do from the time you get up you don't have to waste your your energy thinking about that right? You just know it. And because of that, now you can take those things that come up or those what have you, and you can place your energy there. And I think that makes us much more uh, effective. Mm. So what's your routine? Well, my routine is actually a little different from what a lot of people do. Uh, and I'll, so first I get up at 4.30 and, and the first thing I do is, you know, after shaving, brushing my teeth is I check my social media and my emails. Now I don't do it on my, my phone. I don't even really know how to do that. Um, I'll chalk that up to old age, but that's probably just an excuse. I like <laughs> to do it on the computer. Okay. Now, a lot of people say, do not check your email and social media first thing in the morning. Don't it? And I, that's okay. I, that that's fine. For me, I do that for a couple of reasons. One is I have a lot of overnight correspondence. I have a, a, I'm very active on social media. And so there's also, so I take that first hour. I have that first cup of coffee, which I just love. And not because I need it to wake up. I don't, I just love having it. And I check the computer, catch up on my emails, my social media. I do my morning posts that I do and, and all those things. And, and to me, now I have that done. I don't have to worry about that. So I'm free to, to not, not be thinking about that. Then my trainer, her name is Diane. She comes in five mornings a week. She comes in at about, about six o'clock and six 15. Uh, and she works me out and she cooks my breakfast and then she prepares my meals for the day. So all I have to do is heat up the healthy meals that she prepares for me. I love that. Uh, yeah. And I've got great hack. That was a great yeah. hack. I just got, yeah. yep. 
And then, um, and then from there, it's taking on things I have to do, whether it's interviews or, you know, writing articles, working on uh, content. You know, we have a, 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 a success alliance online community network. So I do a lot of work with that. So I might have Zoom meetings that day, you know, with them or, or what have you. So in other words, doing those things in the morning and getting those out of the way allows me to do all the other things during the day much more successfully. I love that. I need to get, I need to figure out how to get my trainer to help prepare a meal. So I have, she's amazing there. Yeah. Diane is just, she, she, she's amazing. And, and she saves me a, a, you know, a lot, a lot of time uh, keeps me, uh, you know, I can't imagine what kind of, uh, you know, how much weight I'd have put on if it wasn't, if it wasn't for her. Moving your body five days a week and then. And preparing the healthy meals. Yeah. Yeah. So important. So what's next on the content docket? What are you, what are you working on next book? Um, what's from a thought leadership perspective, what's next? Uh, I'm reworking. I'm going to retitle uh, and, and republish a book that is probably the best book I ever wrote. And it just didn't sell really well. And I, I think the title, which I thought was a great title, but it, apparently the marketplace didn't didn't feel the same way. And the marketplace will always win out in that case. <laughs> and so I, I got the the rights back from the publisher. So I'm going to work on that and, and turn it into a, um, I'm going to probably self-publish that one. That's my plan. And retitle mm-hmm. it, rework a little bit of the content, but not much. And then then re-release that. It's a book on, on people skills. That mm-hmm. is my favorite topic. It's a how-to book. It's not a parable like the ones I wrote with with John and uh, very excited about that. What's the best people skill that we can learn right now? I think the best people skill is to have a, a genuine and authentic interest in others. That's yeah. the best people skill of all. Yeah. There's something to be said about learning how to just be curious about other people. I, like, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Bob, I want to I really do want to respect your time. I really appreciate you being here. I know you're a busy guy. Tell the audience how they can connect with you, how they can find you, and if you have any last words. Sure. The best way is just to go to berg burg.com. And while there, you can see how to connect with me on social media. If you'd like, you can check out the books and get a free chapter of whichever ones you'd like. And be sure and uh, sign up for the daily impact email. Uh, it's actually five days a week, so it's not actually daily, but it kind of is. Uh, <laughs> and um, that's about it. Uh, you know, that's you come to the website, have some fun and, and look around. Uh, meanwhile, it's been just great to be with you. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely. And I, I just love the work you're doing. Thank you so much. And last question for you. What does it mean to live a rich life? I think a rich life is one in which you are happy and I will define happiness if you'd like in my, you know, I in, love in, that. In, Give it to my, us, Bob. My vernacular, because of course, uh, you know, dictionary definition of happiness is the mental feeling of well-being, And I, that's a very legitimate definition of happiness. Mine is a, a tiny bit deeper. And that is a genuine and ongoing feeling of joy and peace of mind. The result of living congruently with your values. Oof. With that, thank you, Bob. Appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate you too. Thank you. So good. If you enjoy this podcast or find it valuable in any way, you have a duty to share it with someone else who may need to hear this message or can get value from this content. And remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review so we can continue to bring massive value to you. And go to our website, therichequationpodcast.com to be added to our mailing list for special access and content. 
Thank you for listening to the Rich Equation Podcast with Ashish Nathu. Do you want more ideas on how to live rich? Go to richequationpodcast.com for show notes and resources. Then take one minute to leave Ashish a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you on the next episode.